And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He is Todd Erzin. He is Aaron McIntyre. We welcome back a good friend of the show. He is the op-ed page editor uh, over at Newsweek, former clerk in uh, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, the one and only Josh Hammer, who is sweating out conference realignment as we speak as a dookie. How are you, Josh? Well, Steve, I really am worried about this ACC stuff, but uh, it's great to be with you as always. It is good to, to have you back with us uh, because every time Josh is here, the IQ on this show goes up, the collective IQ goes up at least at least a it's little correct. bit. At least a little bit, yes. Uh, so we will get to, to the Dace Group here in just a matter of moments. First, I got to tell you, though, some of you may have noticed we have a new cup here with us on the set, okay? And... Uh, the filtered water never tasted so good as we are here to celebrate America's new pro-life hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, because as it says on the back of this bad boy, we couldn't have overturned Roe without her. All right. So uh, we came up with this last week. We launched a line of T-shirts. You can get those at uh, shop.blazemedia.com. Use Dace10 to get a discount. Now... Now you can celebrate with everything you drink out of this coffee cup, whether it be coffee or, in my case, just plain old water, or for some of you, a little Louisiana lightning, whatever it might be, it will never taste better than it will be while you celebrate America's pro-life hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who bitterly clung to that Supreme Court seat just long enough for Donald Trump and not Barack Obama to appoint her successor. And now here we are. We could not have overturned Row without her. Josh, I know that uh, sh- right after this show, you're going to be over at shopblazemedia.com using that Dace 10 promo code to get your Ruth Bader Ginsburg pro-life hero coffee cup. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and also don't forget Harry Reid. I mean, the pro-life movement probably should be erecting monuments to go both of these Correct. great stalwarts for, for the sanctity of unborn life. Yes, you got rid of the judicial filibuster because you knew Republicans were never going to do it because they were used it to screw us. Uh, so, yes, uh, we. I, I thought we had an exhaustive list of people to thank, and we had forgotten the one and only Harry Reid. Um, and so thank you, uh, Josh, for adding to the list of gratitude here on the show. Now, coming up on today's show, we'll get into Feedback Friday next hour of the program. In a minute, you're going to see Aaron's montage uh, that begins the Dace Group, um, uh, Bleep Lord Nefarious Says. And after you watch this, you're going to think, I need, I need to stock up on food right now, okay? Because this thing's going down, and it's going down hard. If that's you... Go to preparewithdace.com right now. They have a special offer for you to have that peace of mind to know that that could never happen here. Happens here again. Uh, You are ready to go with a food supply that uh, will stay fresh for up to 25 years with the right storage. Uh, What is it? Three months. Three months of three square meals a day, including drinks and snacks. That's over 2,000 calories for you and everyone in your care. Plus, they give you free shipping. With $150 off when you go to preparewithdace.com. From our friends at My Patriot Supply, head to preparewithdace.com. And now it is time for the Dace Group. It is your weekly look at the week that was, and it begins, as it always does, with issue one, bleep, 
Look at Josh. He is right now. Gird your loins. Do you guys see him bracing himself there on his desk? Here we go. Bleep, Lord Nefarious says. My mom wrote this really beautiful essay about uh, her abortion that she got when she was really young and about how if she hadn't have had it, she wouldn't have become the person that she'd become and I wouldn't exist. I would love to be able to pitch Michigan as a place where every person has full civil rights, full bodily autonomy, and the ability to make a good quality of life here in Michigan. That's our, it's a great part of the, our legacy and it's gotta be a part of our future. Here in Massachusetts, these so-called uh, crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics by three to one. She says women walk into the centers believing they'll get abortions. Instead, they try to talk women out of it. She calls it a bait and switch. They are giving it over to people who wish them harm. And that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that in Massachusetts right now. Maybe temporary clinics on federal land. Um, uh, as in, and you know, fight it in the court, you know, let the courts say no uh, and, and instead try it. Did you guys look into this at all? I, I think we're continuing to explore everything that's out there. We must, we must really discuss this. The use of federal lands for services. It's Independence Day. So let's talk about what's going on in America. Freedom, it's under attack in your state. Your Republican leaders, they're banning books, making it harder to vote restricting speech in classrooms, even criminalizing women and doctors. I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom. The bipartisan uh, uh, gun, uh, anti gun reform bill uh, was an important first step. Uh, or whether it's our most uh, recent initiative on uh, banning, uh, sorry, on freezing uh, the market for firearms. What's your gray box? Is there something that you wish you knew that, that would help in, in setting money policy? Only one thing. Yeah, no, I, I'd go back to the same thing, really, which is wh what, did we, what did we get wrong? And that really was looking at these supply-side issues and believing that they would be resolved relatively quickly. And that, by that I mean there, was going to be, there were going to be vaccinations, everyone would get vaccinated, so the millions of people who dropped out of the labor force would come right back in. So wages wouldn't be under such pressure. That didn't happen. What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. So the unjab now have caused the recession? Yeah. Okay. Is it just me? I don't want to steal you guys' thunder. But has it been so depraved that I just watched that and thought it was just kind of the run-of-the-mill stuff we do all the time? I think that's, that's fair. I mean, that's not a criticism of your work. I'm just I'm, no, I'm no, talking about the material. No, fair. Like, the, no. the, the standards have become so low here for total depravity that I just kind of, maybe this is frog in the boiling water stuff. I was just kind of like, huh. Let's go to Josh, find out what he thinks. Josh, what was the most vile thing to escape from the hellscape this week? So, first of all, I'll give a special shout-out to Gretchen Whitmer. I don't want to steal your guys' thunder. I know this this show, perhaps more than any other out there, is obviously the definitive anti-Fauci, anti-COVID hysteria show, so I don't want to steal your thunder. But Gretchen Whitmer's two-faced duplicity on bodily autonomy, I mean, 
you know, correct. You literally, you literally cannot make this up, right? right? I mean, it, it reminds you of this Babylon B headline that I saw like like a couple months ago after after the leaked opinion in the Dobbs case came out in early May. The Babylon B basically said like progressive activist takes out of her closet her my body my choice banner <laughs> that she put away at the beginning of COVID. I right. Mean, that's what's happening to Gretchen Whitmer there. But I guess the one thing that I also want to say as the token Floridian on this panel is with respect to Gavin Newsom, who has indeed started running these ads here in the state of Florida. You know, if you are a Floridian, if you are a, my fellow Floridian and you find that message appealing, go. Indeed. I, I, I'd be ecstatic if I was somebody like you. I'm glad he's running these ads. Let's clear this place out. I'm in. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, as Florida continues to emerge as not just like a purple state, but I think, you know, I think as I think Rubio and DeSantis will probably win this fall both by 10 to 12 points. As we become a more so solidified, solidly red bastion here, I just want the libs to leave. Just get the heck out. So honestly, like, I'm not that upset at Gavin Newsom for that. The, this approach by Newsom, Josh, reminds me of some of the stuff we saw after Roe v. Wade or after the last uh, mass gun shooting. Uh, what, you guys want uh, minorities and everybody to own guns? Yeah, yeah, we, we do. In fact, if anybody, frankly, ought to be the most on the cutting edge, knowing the history of America, probably we would definitely, they should, I'm guessing some folks on some plantations in Mississippi wish they owned some guns back in uh, 1845 or so. Probably wish they owned some guns then, right? Uh, so what are we going to do? Make all the uh, dads uh, 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 take care of the kids and uh, provide for them? Yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do that. That's kind of something we've been arguing for for as a kid who biological barely bothered yeah i kind of think when we were on food stamps and adc and welfare yeah i kind of think maybe the old man should have footed the bill for that stuff instead you know what i, you know what I mean mm -hmm. and now the new one is well you should come to california if you believe in what we believe in you drive a hard bargain but sold i mean i'm in okay i mean this is nuts watching this todd your thoughts well, first of all, Josh, you had me at two-faced duplicity. Uh, secondly, that speaks to what Steve uh, said about I'm, I'm just getting used to this. You know, th th I'm not even like... Like, that didn't even phase me. But, but that <laughs> that's good because that means there's a certain recognition that we aren't just returning to normal. Something is just fundamentally broken. I, I have no right to be shocked by it anymore as a grown-up. And that speaks to the very first segment there. With the uh, the chick from yep. um, Stranger, Stranger Things, things. Yeah. that's why we're in it for the long haul. Two faced duplicity, but she doesn't even know it. She's just that's just. If my mom hadn't killed my sibling, yes. I would have never been born. Yes. What do you do with that? Uh, nothing. Th nothing. That nothing is, can be done with that. That is in, Jesus. That is invincible. That's it. That's invincible that's ignorance, and that's why uh, f uh, Florida migrations to California, notwithstanding the rest of our adult lives in this room are going to be spent dealing with this because we are that badly broken that generation is you can't even do one plus one equals two in terms of fundamental reasoning it is all narrative it is all emotive and it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense the lie is the point that is very dangerous Perfectly said. Aaron. Yeah, I was going to go with Maya Hawk as well. That's Uma Thurman's daughter. Yeah. And that sounds like invincible ignorance, and it is. That sounds nonsensical, but it is not. That, that makes perfect sense. That's dogma.
That's the dog who lives loudly within her. Absolutely. It makes perfect sense, though. It's just demonic. What she is saying there, and I believe she really, uh, she won't say this out loud, but she's connecting the dots somewhere underneath there. What she's saying is, I'm glad my sibling or step-sibling was sacrificed so I could have this life. That is the heart. That's the heart of baby killing right there. Mm-hmm. Always has been. It always life has been. Yes. For me, that that's what it is. And that is that is creeptastic. It is demonic and it is just absolutely evil. And as Todd just pointed out as well, what do you do with that? Just has to be defeated. Just has to be. There's no other way around it. Of course, the the best of the best this week was at the very end. Uh, I think it's uh, Brian Deese, the Biden advisor. Worst um, political messaging maybe in American history. Yes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stay <laughs> firm. Alex Jones called and said he wants his show back. My goodness. Uh, five years ago, I think it was so it was, I saw Michelle Malkin invent the word douche-tastic, and I'm like, I am so going to be using that the rest of my career. I felt the same uh, thrill going up my leg, Mr. Oberman, when you dropped Creeptastic. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be using that quite a bit. Uh, Thank you uh, for that inspiration. You're my muse. Exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the odds, Lindsey Graham being subpoenaed this week by Fulton County Democrats is not a partisan witch hunt. 10 being the odds that this is the one time, though, Lindsey Graham won't just bend over and take it from somebody. Rate this week's level of total depravity. Josh. Steve, I think by now you know that the Lindsey Graham thing there is literally one of my favorite parts of the taste group. So that's <laughs> why I keep on coming back, honestly. But uh, I, it's a 10 out of 10. Honestly, at this point, a rebuttable presumption for a 10 every week until it changes. This is just, we, we live in just truly insane apocalyptic times. What he said, 10. Same. Before we get to issue two, after, so I warned you before watching Aaron's montage, you were going to think, I need to begin doom prepping yesterday. After watching it, you might be thinking, my kids can never be educated by these people ever. If that is you, uh, check out our friends at Freedom Project Academy while you still can. Classes are filling up fast, but there are still some opportunities. And I know these people personally. I worked with them uh, in the fight against Common Core a decade ago. And now uh, I even had my own son Noah enrolled in Freedom Project Academy for a couple of years. So I've seen up close and personal how Dr. Duke Pesta and the team over there does an outstanding job. If you want your child to learn how to think, not what to think, mastery of subject matter that actually matters and uh, and and instead of you're, you don't matter and instead uh, here's some spirit of the age propaganda uh, check it out get a free information packet today while you still can time is running short freedom for school that's the preposition not the number for freedom head over to freedom let's get to issue two did vote republican for better justices really work after all For as long as I and many of you can remember, no matter how squishy the Republican you were asked to vote for was, from Senator so-and-so to the Bushes, McCains, and Romneys of the world, we were told in return justices and judges would be appointed across the land and at the highest court that would uphold the Constitution and maybe, just maybe, someday in the distant future, overturn Roe v. Wade. And vote we did, and disappointed we were, and voted more we did, and disappointed further we were, and then Trump was elected in 2016, and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett were disappointments to varying degrees, and then one day, a couple of weeks ago, we woke up, 
and Roe v. Wade was overturned in the midst of a bevy of other important Supreme Court cases that went the right way. So there's that. So, Josh, you know, we love critical thinking on this show, as you know. We'll, we'll even critically think. Can't be a critical thinker if you don't critically think your own positions, right? So, I mean, I've spent, other than the pro-life issue, I have spent more time in my career on the canard of judicial supremacism and the idea that we would vote our way out of this with Republican justices. I mean, how many shows have you and I done about this? How many conversations have you and I done about this? How many columns have you and I combined over the years written about this? Okay. So we discussed this as a team last week. And now that you're here, we have a unique opportunity to get even more expertise, obviously. So that's the first question. Did this, did it actually work? The, the most vapid GOP talking point short of waste, fraud, and abuse. But did it, now it, maybe it took 50 years to work, but did it actually work, Josh? So I think the answer is, is yes, comma, but, right? I, I, I mean, there is obviously a lot of kind of critical thinking to be done for folks like you and me, Steve. I mean, I've been saying this for two weeks now, but I will say that the morning that the Dobbs decision came out, I tweeted something to the effect of those in 2016 who voted for Trump for quote unquote, but judges exclamation mark or but Gorsuch, you know, exclamation mark reasons. That looks like a good bet right now. That looks like a vindication. That looks like a proposition that indeed has paid off. Now, to your point as well, this took a very, very, very long time. And tens of millions of unborn children obviously have been knifed and, and, and killed in utero. And on, the, on, on, on many other issues, we are very, very, very far from where we should be. But this particular Supreme Court term in particular here, it is extremely, extremely difficult, perhaps impossible to ignore the obvious fact that this is this is the most successful from a conservative standpoint, Supreme Court term in I mean, at least since I've been following the Supreme Court, probably in the history of the modern conservative legal movement, not just the Dobbs case. We had this fantastic Second Amendment case, obviously, at Bruin out of New York State. The first time they said that you have a right to not just keep arms, but to actually bear arms, a great Clarence Thomas opinion. Steve, we overturned the finally, once and for all, the so-called lemon test as far as the Establishment Clause in the mm-hmm. First Amendment. That's as a Coach Kennedy case. Um, you know, there was a good administrative state case in the West Virginia case. You're, you're making, I don't want to interrupt, but just for the layman out there, you're making key points here that in the past, like with Hobby Lobby, when we won these cases or master, Masterpiece Cake Shop, we'd went on technicalities or you went too far or it's too icky. What you're pointing out is that this is the first time in my memory bank we actually won landmark cases on the premise of our argument. That's That almost never has happened in my entire career in this business. Yeah, I think that's well said. So the Hobby Lobby case in particular, they took the statutory out. It was on RIFR grounds. A lot of us, like myself, wanted them to go on First Amendment constitutional grounds to more solidly around those decisions. Here is here is the but though, okay? Here is the here is the caveat. If you look carefully and, and if you, you really gotta scrutinize a little bit after this last term because a lot of these high profile cases really do stand out. I still maintain my conviction that there are only two truly, truly reliable justices, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito. On basically any other issue, I still do think, uh, you know, the chief justice, forget about him for a second, but I, I still do think Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, or Barrett can go wobbly. So for, for instance, there was a criminal law case called Hobbs versus United States. I don't, I don't want to, or sorry, Taylor versus United States involving the Hobbs Act statute. Only two dissenters, uh, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Gorsuch, all joined the libs in that one. There was another Indian law case out of the state of Oklahoma. Neil Gorsuch is a total lib. He's probably, he's literally probably to the left of Sonia Sotomayor on Indian law issues. I don't really know exactly why. It has something to do with the fact that he's from Colorado. Kavanaugh obviously side with, with the liberals in the Texas immigration case. So I don't want to overstate 
how good this current situation is, and we still need folks like you and I, Steve, to kind of you know define the right flank and kind of continue to push the Overton window rightward and rightward. But it is very difficult to not at least be satisfied and to give credit where credit is due to an extent, obviously, and then, then involves praising the Federal Society Heritage Foundation groups like that. You guys mind if I ask him a follow-up since we already yeah. discussed this as a team? So we were at a yeah, but too, Josh. But our but was, because we're not even smart enough to come up with the but that you did. So the but that we came up with was, okay, this worked. It took 50 years to work at the level that we actually need it. We don't have another 50 years to wait for it to work like this again, okay? I mean, <laughs> the Wisconsin Supreme Court announced this morning that, yeah, our presidential election last year was just completely illegal. I mean, there's just, I mean, which we all knew all along was completely illegal, but they did it anyway. I mean, the other side is, I mean, Biden's out there issuing executive orders to kill babies. When the social compact is this broken, so yeah, it worked here, but we don't have 50 years to watch this try to work itself out again Anyway, that was kind of our yeah, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I totally agree with that. So, I mean, what I have said on the 14th Amendment issue, so I've, I, one of my new lines that I'm now pushing, to be clear, I've been saying this for a few years now, but now it's more relevant, is the fact that the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, properly interpreted, actually does ban abortion naturally because unborn persons are, natu- are naturally understood as persons. So, therefore, a homicide statute that does not protect unborn persons but protects only born persons would be an equal protection clause violation against the subset of human beings that are unborn. That's kind of a new fight. The reason that is relevant to your question, though, Steve, is because if you go back and look at kind of John Bingham, the congressman from Ohio back in 1868, and the other kind of leading draftsmen and ratifiers of the 14th Amendment's you know, its main provisions, the protection clause, the due process clause, it, the idea was not for the judiciary to actually solidify those rights. They really wanted Congress to actually legislate. That's section five mm-hmm. of the 14th Amendment. So the new line that I think I, my friend Josh Craddock, and some other kind of legally inclined pro-life activists are now pushing is to get Congress in the game because mm-hmm. we cannot wait another 50 years to ban abortion nationally. This was a great first step. In my view, the next step comes from Congress. Though. So basically the Ron and Rand Paul legislation that they've each proposed in Congress for over a decade that we codify that a human being is a person from the moment of conception uh, within a U.S. statute, basically, is what you're talking about. Yeah, in my view, it should be a, Congress can use its Section 5, 14th Amendment enforcement power to basically say that we know based on the side of on the state of science, embryology, whatever, that unborn persons are persons for equal protection clause, mm-hmm. 14th Amendment Section 1 purposes. Therefore, no homicide statute in the states can discriminate against unborn persons, which would have the practical effect of basically banning almost every abortion national. All right. Todd and Aaron, floor now is yours. Well, that last part that Josh said about Congress was going to be uh, one of my uh, two parts of my answer. This and Vote Republican to get better judges was a ruse all along for those 50 years. Uh, so those guys wouldn't have to take a stand. Uh, and that's a problem. We, we 2016, both houses of conference and the presidency. Uh, 1994, at least both houses. You know, the, with the uh, Republican Revolution. You know, uh, there are there are times where statements should have been made by a Congress to move uh, the entire conversation uh, to what you said, Steve. The the premise we simply chose not to do yep. so. I, I can't say it worked on that grounds. And secondly, it's the coffee cup answer. You already said this whole thing re- relied on the ridiculous legal feng shui of the hubris of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. So I mean, uh, it, saying this worked does. We, we got damn lucky after fifty years. That's not something to bank your bet the house on. Aaron? 
So I, I would say I, I'm on a, I'm on a yes, but in, I'm, I'm right on the edge. I'm, I'm very, very neutral on this because on the one hand, um, this couldn't have happened without those justices that were appointed. But then it was also a lot of uh, four-dimensional chess being played along the way by the only person in the universe capable of playing four-dimensional chess. Um, but I think I'm more on the side of this was vindicated in spite of itself. Because we learned, I think I looked it up one time, I think it was twenty between 2012 and 2014 when it was either Arkansas or Iowa first attempted and or passed a heartbeat bill, mm -hmm. which is what we were just talking about, arguing this issue at its premise. So we had toiled with like no results at all for close to 40 years before we finally, before we finally argued the premise. And then less than 10 years later, the entire shibboleth or the first shibboleth tumbles down. So yeah, we don't have 50 years again. What's the lesson though to learn? We don't really need 50 years when we can actually effectively and then uh, take action effectively on the premise of what we're actually arguing. That's the biggest lesson here. I think the conservative legal movement, yeah, played a big role when, when they had the opportunity. They finally, finally were able to, to win some things. But uh, the, the biggest lesson here is arguing at the premise. Very quickly on redirect back to you, Josh. Give you one minute. Before I get to the exit question, you want to respond to what you just heard from Todd and Aaron? I think, I mean, I really largely agree for the most part, honestly. I mean, we waited a very long time, obviously, and tens of millions of, of, of unborn lives, you, you know, were, were tragically gone. I mean, they died. Look, in the long run, I, I, I've always compared the abortion. It's not a particularly novel analogy, but I've always compared the abortion issue to slavery, of course. And, you know, the same way that America was ultimately not sustainable as half Free and half slave, you know, as Lincoln famously said in Peoria, Illinois, in 1854, the relevant question is whether the Negro is or is not a man. That that ultimately mm -hmm. is the moral question to be answered here. So too is the, is this current kind of patchwork unsustainable? I mean, the the fact that unborn children might be protected in Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, but not in California, Oregon, that is fundamentally unjust. So this is a necessary precondition, but it's all it's ultimately kind of a normy kind of federalist proceduralist remedy. It's not it's not a substantive victory in and of itself. It allows us to get to the substantive end goal. So from that perspective as well, you know, it should kind of you know, keep us keep us grounded here. Let's keep our our perspectives grounded because the long term goal of an abortion free America very much still remains elusive, and there's a lot of work left to be done. Exit question. Josh kind of teased his answer already, but do you think this session signaled a rightward turn of the Supreme Court, including Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett, who prior to this year had actually voted with liberal justices for the majority of the time thus far prior to this year's session? Todd, what do you think? No, I won't go that far yet because uh, the judge who defended me when I uh, got arrested at the register, they did it because they were scared They and they hired the best. He ended up agreeing with me. Steve, you know him. He told me, Steve, Todd, you got to remember this about these judges at the highest level. They're like surgeons. They want to cut. They aren't. They should be far more minimalist, but they want to go in there because it's their craft. Okay, and that's dangerous. Once you start thinking it's really not about that patient, it's not really about the citizen, but it's about it's, my hubris. They're going to cut anyway, so you have they're to. They're going to cut anyway. You have to put the right tool in their hand, basically. Yes, Aaron. No. Simple enough, Josh. 
I agree. No, I will say that I, I, I really am pleasantly surprised that Brett Kavanaugh, in particular, did what had to be done yep. in the Dobbs abortion case. I mean, after what he went through with, like, you know, with Julie Swetnick and Christine Blasey Ford, he's actually gone out of his way, Steve. I don't know, I don't know if you guys knew this. He, he hires in all female chambers every year. He hires exclusively female law clerks. As I, I don't really know why. Maybe it's like a virtue signal kind of thing. So I, I, I am really pleasantly surprised that Brett Kavanaugh actually stiffened his spine enough to hold through here. But, the, but the actual answer is no. I think Kavanaugh and Barrett will still be kind of swing votes next term. All right. When we come back, we want I want us to take a look at the January 6th committee. But I don't want us to look at it in the way that it has largely been analyzed, which is to provide political distraction content for Democrats who have no issues positively to run on and, uh, you know, ample clickbait material for a lot of our peers in conservative media uh, to, uh, you know, get everybody fired up about and uh, and and provide some other talk content other than this country is going to hell in a handbasket. I want us to look at it, if it's possible, seriously. <laughs> I, can, I almost couldn't say it with a straight face, but is there an actual strategy playing itself out here? And And is this all really being done for an audience of one? So it doesn't really matter what the ratings say, because they're not good. It doesn't matter um, whether the average American is paying attention, that this is all being done to provide the political cover for one person to act. We will get into that angle when we return. Stay tuned. Summer is here. Soon it'll be tailgate season for football as well. That means it's the perfect time to check out our friends over at Tyga Coolers, pro-American company that uh, is all American made with American workers. And they do the some of the best work with premium coolers you're going to find anywhere. And they can customize it for you as well. You want to put your kid, you know, you're, you're following around with their travel team this summer or football for high school this fall. You want to put your kid uh, on the, customize a picture of your kid on the lid. They can do that. They can do just about anything you want. They did a really cool nefarious one for me for the upcoming nefarious film that I cannot show you yet. Otherwise, my, my uh, production company will hunt me down and uh, and and destroy me. So I'll show you that one later. But they do really cool work, and you can get 10% off when you use the promo code Steve as your discount comes with a lifetime limited warranty as well. When you go to tigacoolers.com, T-A-I-G-A, T-A-I-G-A, tigacoolers.com is where you want to go. They did really cool customized coolers for all three of us. We all love them. tigacoolers.com and use the promo code Steve. All right, let's get to issue three here. Could Trump be indicted? Mama says law is as law does, and it's unclear what laws Donald Trump broke, but none of that matters because the Justice Department is dumb and evil, the January 6th committee is dumb and evil, and the whole charade is terrible people doing terrible things to other terrible people terribly. The same terrible people who brought us the Russian P-tape hoax, the Ukrainian phone call hoax, and the rigged election. So, sure, he could be indicted. All right. I'll, I'll try to... Let, let's see if we can maybe take this more seriously than Aaron just did in this montage. Do you agree that the end game here of the January 6th committee, uh, we have kind of analyzed it almost exclusively in conservative media as counter-programming 
because they don't have any other issues to run on, right? Okay, or trying to drive down Trump's negatives to the point that he won't run again, okay? But is the real goal here, is there an actual strategy here? And this is all being done for an audience of one. And that one is Attorney General Merrick Garland. And that the goal here is to refer <clears throat> evidence uh, uh, to A.G. Garland in the hopes that the Department of Justice will indict Donald Trump. And if you agree that that's the end game goal here, what do you think happens next if that happens? Josh, we'll start with you. So I think that definitely is a goal. I'm not sure that I think of it so straightforwardly as the sole and exclusive goal. I mean, look, things obviously are not going particularly well for the Democratic Party, to put it mildly here. Joe Biden is 19 and a half roughly points underwater, the real clear politics average for a decade high inflation. I mean, we all know how poorly it's going at this point. And they simply need someone to or something to make a villain out of. Now, I you know query whether this whole sham would be going on if Donald Trump were still on Twitter, because then they could you know be quote tweeting him and trying to make him out as as this big very public facing villain. But the fact that he's been so deprived of social media, he's not even really on Fox anymore. Every, every so often he goes on Newsmax, OAN, things like that. They have to make him relevant again. Because there's one thing that Democratic base so consistently loads and reviles. Obviously, it is former President Trump. So I think this is a very convenient way of trying to kind of remind their base because they are just hemorrhaged independence very, very badly mm-hmm. right now and all the polling that I'm seeing this fall. So to, in order to try to stench losses, they, they you know, staunch losses, they have to fire up the base. So I, I, I do view it to that extent. But yeah, I do think uh, these, at least kind of a secondary goal certainly would be to try to line him up to get an indictment there. I think the odds of that are probably less than 50%, though. I, don't, I mean, I, certainly indicting a former president would, you know, would be uncharted waters. And that's not, that's not to say it can happen. A lot of, a lot of uncharted waters things are happening now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's been quite the bit of uh, climate change erosion in the uncharted waters section of the ocean the last few years, Josh. Because if if going back to what you just said, though, what's their base's reaction if they put on this production for the entire summer and then don't indict him? I mean, you want to demoralize your base even more? You put on, I mean, you 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 literally put on literally Hitler on the camera all summer long and then don't indict him. If I mean... What is that? That doesn't fire up your base. This this almost becomes a fait accompli that they have to do it, don't they? In the end, and so then what happens if they do? What, what what's that look like? No, it's a very fair point. I mean, I'm not I'm not entirely sure they're thinking that far ahead. To okay. With you. Um, but I, I, it's it, 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 it's a good point. I mean, it really is a good point, honestly. I mean, it does it, it does seem to put some institutional pressure on Merrick Garland to come back with an indictment. I'm just not sure if he actually will. I mean, let's remember that Merrick Garland, who, you know, he's done a lot of disgusting stuff since becoming attorney general, obviously kind of sicking the FBI on anti-critical race theory, parents being kind of a nadir, a, a real low point. But in a previous lifetime, when he was a judge on the D.C. Circuit, he, you know, he he was a liberal, but he was a, he was a moderate liberal. He was not a lunatic. He was very far removed from the AOC Ilhan Omar wing. So if he has any sense of the scruples of what he once was, I don't think he would do this. But again, you're right. There will be pressure on him. Long time ago, Joe Biden thought abortion was murder. That was like 2015. Todd, your thoughts? Yeah, I pretty much agree uh, with Josh. I, I I don't think it's primary. Uh, listen, wouldn't they rather are, and I know they made the mistake uh, about this in 2016, but wouldn't they, Ron DeSantis wasn't part of the equation. Wouldn't they want to run against Trump instead of DeSantis? So they don't now, indictment or not, so they don't, 
uh, absolutely need that. Plus, they're also getting something else. They can gin up the base because they're not just talking about Donald Trump. They're constantly beating that whipping horse of the the domestic mega terrorist that is roaming everywhere. Okay. And and uh, yeah, and the ones that stormed the Capitol are still right in your backyard uh, as well. And kind of fomenting that notion that this. Listen, we said that we've been saying it for a long time. I know I have that this is a civil war, and I don't take a word back, but they think that too, and they're trying to gin it up within their own Overton window context. But that's a great point. But their base is accustomed to getting action and demanding action. Like Josh has told us in the last segment, yeah, frankly, I was kind of surprised that Kavanaugh stuck firm on Dobbs this entire time. Their base doesn't nominate judges, and then they're like, I'm shocked that it turns out that our, you know, our, our judge actually is in favor of a groom and drag queen uh, story time hour with three-year-olds. They're used to getting action. They got all the power to do all the action they want right now. And so they're just going to let orange man bad skate so that so that and they're not going to put the cloud over his head so they can say on all their news channels next year when he's running for president indicted former president Donald Trump was on the campaign trail later today. So you keep hammering that hammering that hammering that hammering that over and over and over again. I, I, I'm with Josh. It's, it's, it might be 40%, which is no small part. Okay. We're just arguing what's primary, and I think there are variables that are least just as big that they're dealing with. Because you know me, I, I need to know the real answer for things, and yes. I need to try to fix everything, even things I don't agree I with. Do. And if this is just for political theater, it is so awfully being orchestrated that I just need to, I have to believe there's some other goal here. Because if this is really just counter-programming in the summertime, yikes, Aaron. Yeah, I would like to take this, and I am. This is my attempt at taking this as seriously as possible. But you know, I was deadly serious when I led off with the uh, the the takeoff of Forrest Gump. Mama says law is as law does. <laughs> you know, so um, is this their primary goal? You know, I think they would rather run on baby killing, and 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 making that more ubiquitous. Their problem is is that baby killing. And uh, January 6th is space bar, 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 low down the list of most of the electorate's priorities. So I don't know really what their plan is. And here's the thing. I don't think they know either. And I don't think they care. Because I think if it just suits them in October for their October surprise to make up something to indict Trump Law is as law does. He broke some imaginary law. Okay. This is what we needed at the at the at, at the time, and this is what we're going to get because we control the DOJ and all the levers of power. I just think right now this is a party simultaneously that is in deep deep doo doo and controlled by a spirit of the age that really is chaotic and on the yeah. prowl right now. And I really don't know how much more analy- analyzing you can do. Other than that, because it is just chaos, chaotic, dumb, and evil all at the same time. Yeah, they don't—we think they must feel weak right now. They impeached Trump twice and ran him out of office. They brainwashed the entire society with COVID and transgenderism. They feel—they have—they got a human corpse to be president. These guys feel like they're um, uh, Thanos right now. Don't underestimate that. Which is exactly why I think the plan here is to indict him. Just because of everything you just said. Yeah. Exit question. If the likelihood an indictment of Donald Trump will prevent him from announcing another run for president next year were a Bob Seger song, which Bob Seger song would it be? A, against the wind. B, still the same. C, turn the page. Aaron. Uh, What does turn the page mean? 
Uh, you decide that. Okay. Uh, I'll do B then. B? Okay. Todd? Yeah, still the same, I think. All right. Hey, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, it's unanimous. All right, let's get to our kicker question. Issue four, if you could indict any current political figure in America, whom would it be and why, Todd? It would, it would be Fauci or Burks, and I would need the legal expertise of Josh to know who I should pick because of what it would uh, allow in terms of discovery. Fauci, I can answer that because okay. he's tied directly to the healthcare apparatus bureaucratically. Okay. And so whether it's NIH or NIAD, you agree with that analysis, Josh? That discovery rabbit hole goes to the center of the earth. It'd be much more limited to the coronavirus task force probably with Burks because that was her official association at the time. But the reason I said Burks is because she was tech, she was like running the thing and Fauci was just like coming and going and manipulating. I had an under-reliable assurance that Mike Pence was running it. Yeah. Okay, anyway, let's indict anyway, him yeah. then. Okay, which I'm all for. That was uh, going to yeah. be mine. Is that, is that yours? Yeah, Mike Pence. So you, you keep Fauci, I'll do Mike Pence. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Fauci is for sure the obvious answer here, right? I mean, so the, the, there's a group called OpenTheBooks.com, which does kind of transparency, fiscal accountability work. We published an op-ed from... Uh, Angieski, I'm blanking on his, on his first name, but a Polish guy, last name Angieski, he wrote a great op-ed for us kind of just showing how fiscally corrupt Fauci as well. So the, the discovery in that litigation was mm-hmm. pretty epic. So he's, he's the obvious answer. I will just throw out one other name just to keep the conversation interesting. I am a little shocked now. It's been almost a decade since Ambassador Chris Stevens died in Benghazi, Libya. Mm. Susan Rice openly lied to the American people mm-hmm. on television mm-hmm. about what caused the death of a U.S. ambassador. There has not been any just come up for that whatsoever, obviously. And that kind of gets to to Hillary Clinton corruption as well. So I would love to kind of go back down that rabbit hole as well. Those are all great answers. And thank you for resetting us with Susan Rice as well. All right, let's get to predictions. Aaron, you're next or first. Uh, I, I will say um, by the end of September, the January 6th committee will indeed attempt to indict or bring up charges against Trump in an effort to stop him from running. I think he's I think that's actually that could be the thing that seals the deal with him deciding to run next year, actually. Hmm. All right. Todd, I have two and they're both odes to Josh Hammer. We are going to find out the identity of the Supreme Court leaker from a secondary source instead of from the actual the it, leaker Supreme will get leaked? Court investigation. That's perfect. Yes. That is so perfect. Yes. That's one. And yes. two, Duke and teams like schools like Duke will uh, no longer have a college football team within the next decade. Wow. Yep. Wow, that's, that's a lot the road, of that's the that, road this is going down. That, that, they're not going to give it up voluntarily because there's a crap ton of TV money. They'll have to get relegated. Their conferences well, are going to have to say you're not good enough to justify we're getting the same share. Look at the four and schools that, that are being. And I'm not saying by- that I'm not saying that won't happen, yeah. but I'm just saying that's the way it will have to happen. So we talk all this high and mighty stuff about the the AA. What's the academic thing? Yeah, that's credentialing. It's, AU, yeah. it's Duke for God's sakes, and they're not in the conversation. They would instantly lift the grade point of the SEC, but they're not in the conversation because it doesn't matter. You're I, I, somebody. Somebody. Why are Iowa fans uh, so opposed to this? Because if you go down this road, 
people like schools like Iowa who really add no value whatsoever in terms of right. money or eyeballs. Right. If we go down this road, they're going to be looking for for places to play as well. If Iowa Same was not Wisconsin. in the Big Ten, is and Iowa's been a solidly successful program in our league going back to yeah. 1981. So 40 years, almost you and I's entire life and all of Aaron's life, right? If Iowa was in the MAC or an independent or any of these other leagues, would the Big Ten, would Fox say to the Big Ten or would ESPN say to the SEC, we need to have Iowa no. in your league to add value? No. And the answer is no. The answer is no. And that's the same thing with 80% of schools out there. Josh, your prediction, go. Well, I'm not going to lie. I feel a little triggered by what <laughs> That was the goal. <laughs> I wanted to hear what you had to say. Yeah, so look, I you know, I watched um, the Final Four this year. So the Final Four obviously was just this truly apocal, heartbreaking loss for Duke. I mean, Coach K's final game against our arch rival in North Carolina. I watched it down here in Miami with a buddy of mine named Jesse Panuccio, who was in the Trump DOJ. He, he's, a, he's a pretty um, high-ranking Florida lawyer. Jesse texted me this week, and I, I don't think he'll mind if I say this on air. What he said was North Carolina leaving the ACC after finally um, – after beating Duke, by the way, in Cameron in Coach K's final home game, then doing it again like two and a half, three weeks later in the Final Four, for then for North Carolina to like leave the ACC is the ultimate mic drop moment. I mean they, wow. are, they are like – they are closing yeah. a chapter on the history of the Duke-Carolina rivalry and just dropping the mic. So I, it is just – it is so profoundly depressing to even contemplate the fact that that might be true. Because, uh, you know, I know we're short on time. I will, I will make one substantive prediction, though, on an entirely different topic. My actual prediction is that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee in 2024. No, I, 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 I do not know who it will be, honestly. Yeah. I, I genuinely do not know. Maybe Gavin Newsom, maybe Kamala, maybe Pete Buttigieg. I just really don't know. But there is just no chance in hell that they are nominating that corpse again because he is just abominable. That bad. I agree. I agree. Uh, he literally read, end quote, turn page out of the teleprompter this morning. Literally read repeat that. Repeat line. Yeah, repeat yeah. line. That's what it was, yes. My prediction is I'm going to go back on what my initial analysis was of what happened with UCLA and USC last week and what's going to happen with Notre Dame. And I'm going to I'm going to harken back to what happened in our own industry when Cumulus and Clear Channel essentially owned every sink bought. By, this t- by you know, 10, 15 years ago, they had consolidated to own every radio tower in America you'd basically want to own. And this actually led to innovation. This There's so many content creators that were now shut out that they, they went quicker to the new technology in order to reach audiences. And that increased that, the innovation and the technological revolution. And I think that's what's going to happen here. The fear that the Big Ten and the SEC will accumulate all these schools, that, that NBC is going to say to Notre Dame, we can't afford this. And we, and, and we know that you can't continue to make less TV money than Vanderbilt and Northwestern do. So here's a blank check. We we have to have something meaningful on for 12 hours a day on fall Saturdays. And so we can't afford to have you, we can't afford to lose you. And so, and that I think will, Notre Dame remaining independent to some degree will hold off this dystopian doomsday scenario. That's what I think is going to end up happening. So Josh, good to see you as always, brother. Take care. You guys too. You bet. We'll come back with Feedback Friday here right after this. Welcome back. Greetings. Hour two underway here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Steve Dace with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and of course all of you. You can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show. Steve at SteveDace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, 
uh, Instagram and TikTok. You can also find me on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And then, of course, get clips of the show free of any censorship and free to watch when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. If you're a podcast listener, you're a big part of our show's growth and audience. We thank you. Please, if you've yet to do so, hit subscribe or follow. Uh, give us a five-star review. And if you've got a question that you want considered for an upcoming Ask Me Anything, put your question within your five-star review and you'll go to the front of the line for consideration. All right, so thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. You're a big part of our show's growth on the podcast, the platforms, and we really appreciate all of you. Let's get to uh, Feedback Friday brought to you by uh, Moink Meat. It is grilling season, and if you are looking to maybe not subsidize China uh, while grilling this uh, summer, check out our friends over at Moink because unlike one of the largest pork produ- producing companies in the country, they're not majority owned by the Shycoms. All right. This is real farm to table stuff, grass finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, sustainable wild caught Alaskan salmon, all of it straight to your door. We're the family farm. They do it better. And if you want to sign up for Moink right now, you can get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's a pretty good offer. Free filet mignon in every order for a year when you go to Moinkbox, M-O-I-N-K, moinkbox.com slash Steve. That's moinkbox.com slash Steve. All right, are we ready for some Feedback Friday? Let's do it. All right, we're going to start with a question that's really smart. It actually might be too smart for us, okay? Jim Schlegel writes, what part do you think that America being majority Protestant and France being majority Catholic had in their different approaches to their revolutions. As you've eloquently pointed out, the Declaration is a mission statement of commitment to God and the rights he has bestowed upon man, whereas France's revolution was largely a humanist mob uh, uprising to remedy abuses by their rulers. Both countries were at very different places and backgrounds in their religious heritage at the time. Uh, f- and even France, and France even took part in our revolution, yet shortly thereafter chose a totally different humanist approach. Uh, and my fear is that Revolution 2.0 here in the U.S. could follow more of a French variety, barring repentance and revival. So I have, I, I wanted to answer this question because this was the fear that I had with, with my libertarian friends in a previous era when we used to have these conversations with a lot on the show. And to be fair, my libertarian friends have won some arguments with me. I've noted that in the past. They, yeah. have, they have caused me to reconsider, you know, my we're America bitch foreign policy default setting. And then after they caused me to reconsider it, reality of it uh, caused me to then fully reconsider it henceforth. <laughs> okay. They caused me to consider, you know, the, 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 that it ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun when it comes to powers you want to grant government and what happens when the Pharaoh who knows not Joseph gets gets a hold of those things, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But this is why I never, despite the fact, and it's hard for me to admit I've lost an argument, which will shock none of you. Despite the fact, I will admit I lost a couple of these arguments to them and they caused me to reconsider my views. Here's why I never fully embraced that ideology. It's because... It struck me as liberty for liberty's sake. And I feared that this was a French Revolution redux. 
as opposed to something rooted in something eternal. That there, that there, there had to be a higher order. And I know the few of you that call yourselves Christian libertarians and are really passionate about it, you're writing your emails right now. You just need to know you're way outnumbered. You're way outnumbered. A lot of this really is, how do I get less taxes without having to talk about gay marriage? Um, how can I, let me join the philosophy. I'm 24. Let me join the philosophy that won't have me drafted into a war I don't want to fight. I mean, in other words, we're drawing the right, we're drawing some, some interesting conclusions, maybe even the right ones, but from an entirely flawed premise. And that ultimately, it is the American Revolution that gave birth, where rights come from God. We have no king but Jesus. Uh, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Um, great awakenings. It is the American Revolution that gave birth to the longest ongoing experiment in human self-government and freedom that this fallen world has ever seen. France is on something like its ninth or tenth or something constitution. So I wanted to have this conversation in that regard. But you can't ignore the history of it if we are going to have that conversation. So here's my best answer, and then everybody else will get their crack at it, okay? I actually don't believe... That it, that it was certain theological distinctions between Catholicism and Protestantism. And I say that as someone who isn't a Catholic, so obviously I have some theological distinctions. Obviously, and if I didn't have those things, what would I be? Catholic. Catholic. So I obviously have some theological distinctions, otherwise I'd be Catholic. I, I don't actually think that was the driver here. I don't. I think what was the driver here and why France... The mob in France, after it, it, it put Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette to the guillotine, then did the same to the leaders of the church and put the goddess of reason uh, and then the cathedral of Notre Dame, is because of one of what was, it wasn't just theology that led to the Protestant Reformation. There had been theological reformers, Sean Wycliffe, there had, there had been numerous attempts at theological reform within the Catholic Church for centuries. One of the final things that led to it was the political institutional corruption within the church. That it was almost impossible to deviate between what's a bishop and what's a politician. And what's a politician and what's a bishop. And right around the time of the Reformation, a literal crime family had politically maneuvered themselves into the papacy through political machinations and briberies and, and, and chicanery and palace intrigue. Um, because I think a lot of the theological arguments that Luther wanted to have, most people probably weren't intellectually equipped to have. But they got the fact, oh, hey, you're out here raising money for me to, uh, to renovate St. Peter's Basilica, and you know my husband died in the, in the Crusades, and my sons are dying of plague, and I don't have money to give you. This is corrupt. And I think that the mob in France saw the aristocracy and the church as a unified institution. 
the original doctrine as we've known it in the West of the separation of church and state actually has its inspiration from the Reformation. John Knox is one of the reformers that was primarily responsible for inspiring it. And for those of you that don't know that history, John Knox, if you went to his church back in the day, he was um, a Protestant reformer at the time of Mary, Bloody Mary, Mary, Queen of Scots. If you went to his church back in the day, your like, you know, orientation packet was a, was a Geneva Bible and uh, a sword because you literally had to probably, you know, on a, any given Sunday, were defending yourself your, and your family against Mary, Bloody Mary for the right to go to church and worship as you saw fit. And you just thought there, there shouldn't be that centralized of a linkage of political power hegemony within a culture between the church and the state, whether it's the church and the state or the state and the church. That's where, this is where the notions of sphere authority came from. Prior to the Reformation, sphere authority in, in, in Christianity meant what, what Augustine taught, the city of man and the city of God. Out of the Reformation came these individual spheres of influence. And that they would have attention with one another and then they wouldn't engulf one another to create tyranny from the church or tyranny from the private sector for that matter. And so I think when the mob arrives in France at the Bastille, they just see that the church in that culture and the state are fused into one elitist, corrupt monstrosity and there no distinctions were drawn. And that's the challenge for us is I don't want politicized pastors. I want pastors who will preach the Bible, period. All of it, the full counsel of God. And, and without fear of which spear it will, or sphere it will, it will transcend into. That's different than a pastor himself becoming a puppet for a political party. I'm not a fan of whether you want to be Robert Jeffress doing it for the Republicans or Al Sharpton doing it for the Democrats. I'm not a fan of that. You, you represent a, a transcendent entity. You're not a political puppet. So we preach the word in season and out of season without, without care of how it may politically offend you. But we don't become distinctly and blatantly a politicized entity at the exact same time. Similar to how do you do that? Well, you know, that's why we're not for big government or small government. We're for limited government. We have to have a government. So then we have to define what are its divinely inspired responsibilities. And it should be limited to that. And limit isn't necessarily a size. If you're under an invasive force like you are in Texas and Arizona right now, chances are you'd like a really big immigration and naturalization presence on the border right now. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You don't want a small INS. You'd like a pretty big one right now. You know what I mean? You'd like a pretty big wall down there, right? Yes. Okay. So it's about limit, not the necessarily the volume, but what is the, the roles it is limited to. Similarly, when it comes to the church, preach openly and honestly within, with, with, with disregard for the volume of it within the limits of authority that God has granted you in that institution. Don't exceed those limits, but within those limits, don't worry about how often you address something or don't. Just preach the word of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And so I think what happened in these two cultures is that there was, the, the populace did not see a clear distinction 
between the church, that they had lost faith the church would speak truth to power of the aristocracy, but instead they were a tool of it. Whether that was correct or not, read of the times, I do think that was actually the driver of that reign of terror, as it's now known. Todd, what are your thoughts on this? I do like the question. I largely agree with your answer that the answer is um, largely uh, nothing at all. I mean, the after the bloody terror, uh, what did, you know, it's not as if they, like, France just like, okay, there's two extremes here. We need to meet in the middle. Did the entire country of France become a bunch of French Huguenots? No, it went back to being a Catholic monarchy. In England... Uh, did, did the original pilgrims who fir- made their first pit stop, if you'll remember, in uh, in the Netherlands before coming over here, were they correct. escaping a Catholic monarchy? Uh, no, they were no. The, the Church of England, the yes. Anglican Protestant break so, off, correct. You yes. know, this is about, cor- as Steve said, corruptions, abuses of power. I will say this, and this is, what was that show? You ended up seeing it all the way through. I, I didn't, but the alternate history of the World War II, the Nazis, the oh, Man, Man in, in the, the High Castle. Castle. Yeah. There is something you said. Listen, if if the if the American Revolution had a Catholic impetus and a Protestant, that would have been different. A, um, the French Revolution, a that's happening within that landscape. There, there's a whole. There was a utopian notion and totally starting over aspect to things, which is another variable entering your question: Catholic or Protestant, whoever starts it over here. But if the Catholics started over here. You obviously, we, you would not have had the problems. You may have had different problems. You would not have had the problems of the Article of, of Confederation. That level of loosey-goosey, you know, multiple Protestant sects, everybody do what they want, that wouldn't have happened. You would have, at best, had what we got right with the Constitution. At worst, you, the pendulum would have swung the other way. It would have been too much overarching control in federalism right out of the gate and the correction would have come back from that side. So that's, I think the most salient point about where the difference is, uh, may have been. I think there, there's maybe a feeling as well, uh, at that time because of, because of what you pointed out with the dynamic mm-hmm. between the church and state in France, in France, there was the, uh, kind of the the overarching mood that this was our land. In America, the overarching uh, thesis is this is our land. And I think your reaction, uh, there is a distinction there, and I think your reaction to encroachments in both of those, when you think something was yours, your reaction is to take it back. And I think that's Another where... Another good point, too. Uh, that's, yeah. that's where the uh, violence for... Uh, like the right, the, uh, the 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 violence comes in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because then you're you're seeking revenge when your posture is this is our land that at least opens up and we saw that in the American Revolution that it did indeed come on the basis of our fight is righteous because this is ours it wasn't it wasn't our it wasn't uh, in the past tense this is ours and we have a right to defend it. Uh, you know, so help us God. So I think that's another dynamic at play. That's a that's a very important distinction you just drew there, Aaron. Well done. Before we get to more Feedback Friday, imagine you were this real estate agent over in Arizona who showed up for work one day recently, checked the MLS, you know, what's new out there, what's trending on the market, you know. Oh, that house looks familiar. Wait, it's it's mine. 
All right, this actually happened. Uh, they were a victim of home title fraud, home title theft. And unfortunately, when this happens, neither your mortgage lender or your homeowner's insurance can protect you. But this is what our friends at Home Title Lock, this is what they actually do. They've got a virtual barrier around your home's title so that the instant they detect anything nefarious, they will mobilize whatsoever to shut it down. You can register your address right now at HomeTitleLock.com and see if you've already been targeted and weren't even aware so that you don't get blindsided. And then while you're there, uh, you can get 30 free days of protection with the promo code radio for your most important asset, your own home. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. You know, I think we buried the lead, though, on that last question. Hmm. You said it might be too smart for us. It wasn't. In your face. (laughs) Uh, Susan writes, my husband and I listen to your show. We love the honest, raw, and often humorous info there. Recently, I've noticed that it seems you're in a slightly negative place, if I can be honest. You've recently noticed this? (laughs) I mean, traditionally, typically, consistently. Recently? It was like watching the Elmo program before that. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm always in a good mood, guys. Yes. Effervescent. Good news. There's plenty of us, plenty for all of us to be concerned about these days. However, I think many of us look to you guys to shed light on truth and also share hope. I have one question here. You've said several times recently the problem is the people. Yes, we agree in many ways on this, but what would you like the people to do? When we look at the bigger picture of the kind of players that have all come together now in the world, I think most of us see that maybe it's gone beyond being able to stop it. It becomes more, how do you prepare for it? I'm a fighter, so I don't take these things lying down. But I do put my faith in the Lord that if he has allowed these things to be set in place, there may be a bigger reason and it may be part of what he will use in his plan. I have given up on, I've not given up by any means, but I'd love to hear you share thoughts on what you believe people can do. Very much appreciate you guys and tell Todd that he rocks. So I'm going to answer this question in an explicitly Christian context. Because I think that it is only a Christian worldview that can explicitly and sufficiently answer your question. Because if I could get a little, if I can get more technically theological than even we typically do, we don't have the ability to nuance at the level it takes in our own steam and in our own flesh. And this is where the Holy Spirit, this is where God's divine work within us, changing us, transforming us from the inside out, this is where it comes into play. Because one of the things that Christianity offers, even the believer, is a series of paradoxes. You are in the world, but not of it. God is real and um, uh, and imminent and transcendent at the same time. Jesus is king over all. He is sovereign. He is the ruler of God's creation. But we don't live in the fulfillment of that period of time quite yet. These are all paradoxes. That outside of the understanding that comes only from that direct connection with our creator, when his spirit comes to live in us, we can't, possi- we can't intellectually understand or navigate, let alone even maybe even attempt to. We will, without those things, we will fall into these binary choices. Christianity is the ultimate third way. That we don't have to choose between which tumor that the world offers do we prefer. In other words, how would you like to go? There's a third way. We can worship and commune and be in individual relationship with a God who raises the dead to life. 
We don't have to choose which method of the which path to the grave we prefer. And so it is important to always remember these nuances. Because within the biblical worldview, particularly in the New Testament context, multiple things can be true simultaneously. It can be true that Jesus is Lord, but the fulfillment of his lordship has not occurred yet. And therefore, we still suffer under some level of oppression from the enemy. It can be true that Jesus has conquered the grave, but it still sucks to die. And dying can be a very painful experience. So it can be true that we, are, we, we have rightfully earned a Romans 1 judgment from God, and anything that we will attempt to do will not deter that from running its course. At the same time that God demands of us to occupy until he comes, to be watchmen on the wall, to finish our race and declare his word in season and out of season. Which means with the expectation that it might be within a history or a time or a culture or a planet that will just ultimately reject it. Noah hears from God, build me a boat. He doesn't hear from him again for a hundred years. A hundred years. The average lifespan of an American male these days is 78. And so this is the thing we first must... So what must we do? The first thing, Susan, is we have to acknowledge this meta-truth up here. Because you and I don't know the intimate mind of God. We don't see the future. Even if we are in direct communion with him, we're not sovereign. He is. And he chooses to show and limit and reveal his plan and purposes in his timing and by his will, not ours. So if we allow ourselves to go into this binary box of, it's clear, Romans 1 judgment, hunker down. It may not be a Romans 1 judgment. It may be the testing that leads up to one, but then we may behave in a bunker way that creates that self-fulfilling prophecy. We, we, we retreated. The church did this after scopes. It retreated from the public arena. It was embarrassed. It thought these, these forces of these new evolutionary teachers, they're just too strong. Back to the backwoods we go. Did that before. It's dead in our generation. There's just no way we could preach the word of God without looking like whores for the Republican Party. So let's just stop doing it and have a church growth movement instead, which not coincidentally make everybody a lot wealthier. When we act as if we're sovereign and we ultimately know where everything is headed, we end up being hoisted from our own petards. We don't know. You know, I gave a message yesterday with my best read on where I think things are, but it's where I think things are. Man, I barely made it out of community college, man. I tried to major in super tech mobile in college, okay? It's where Steve Day... I'm not... Don't, don't, just because there's a microphone in front of my face does not mean I have some apostolic t- title. It doesn't. My, I, my name is still just Steve. That's why I love one of the creeds of the American Revolution. Fight like it's up to us, pray like it's up to him. And all the way through, 
appeal to the supreme ruler of the universe for the rectitude of our actions. Because ultimately, nothing happens outside of his jurisdiction anyway. So don't worry about creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it's wrong to ignore the signs of the times. It's also wrong, though, to believe you've got such a handle on the times that you then look Messiah in the eye and say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. See what I'm saying with this? Mm-hmm. The nuance, you, you, we cannot successfully do this. As, and, and here's the ultimate nuance. We are saved from our sins while we still desire to sin. I mean, if, if, if we, have to, we have to be open to the nuance of being a believer, the paradoxical nature of it. And, and as humans, we don't like paradoxes. We want things the way we want them. Paradoxes require faith, critical thinking, things that don't come natural to us. But first, start with the, the meta-truth that multiple things can be true at the exact same time and not, in be, not be in contradiction. So yeah, we do ads on our show for Donate to Alliance Defending Freedom to Fight Back. We do ads on our show. You might want to consider looking at your own personal food supply in case we lose fighting back. You know, the, 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 we're, we're trying to balance that nuance. With that meta-truth established, then here would be, if I, if I could find one, because one, we, if we don't get that meta-truth, we won't do what I'm going to ask next. All right? So the meta-truth has to come first. Then, when we get to the application stage, it's what I said yesterday. Become ungovernable to the spirit of the age. Ungovernable. There will come a day, and it may arrive soon, where them putting us in camps or worse won't be politically unpopular, and so they will do them. I know one way to head that day off. Defy and resist them now when it's politically unpopular for them to behave in that way. Because then they will back down if they see that you mean it. Believe me, if it was politically popular for them to just round us up, they would have already done it. It's not. But the longer we comply, the shorter the period of time until that day arrives by self-fulfilling prophecy. Become ungovernable to the spirit of the age. You couldn't possibly impose these things on us. You couldn't possibly enforce them without becoming the very monster that we've been warning the culture you really want to be all along. So then show us the true face or get the hell out of my face, one or the other. That's what I'd have you do. Become ungovernable to the spirit of the age. We will not comply. We will resist. You will not impose. No is a wonderful word. Magical. Being a parent for all of five minutes will teach you to marinate in it, simmer in it, embrace it, mind meld with it, 
Few things in this world feel better than saying, no, no, no. No. That's what I'd have you do. Say no a lot more. Refuse frequently, if not always. No. Because I promise you, I just want to be left alone. I didn't want to make it socially awkward. Or, it's not my place to say anything. Loses to cultic zealotry in every history book I've ever read, how about you? I just want to be left alone, like never wins. Never wins. Never wins. Never wins. Cultic zealotry wins every time over, I just want to be left alone. Excellent email, Susan. Thank you. We'll come back with more Feedback Friday in a moment. Well, there's not too many options these days for you and I to do business with corporate America and know that at least some of that money we probably just gave them is going to be used against us in some other context later on down the line. That's why when that option presents itself, particularly with a product that we all have to use these days, our mobile phones, take full advantage of it with our friends over at Patriot Mobile. Make the switch that our family made last year, and I get it. We put it off for a long time, too. We thought it's going to be a big hassle. We don't want to deal with it. And then... When we got to the point that uh, T-Mobile stopped, started to censor the text messages you were sending to somebody, uh, finally, I just, you know, okay, I just, I don't care how much of a hassle this is. I'm just, I have to salvage whatever shred of dignity I have here, okay, <laughs> and and make the switch. Not only um, was it not a hassle, but I mean, they did a great job. We even upgraded our phones in the process. They can help you just the same. And I know they didn't just do this for me because I promote their product. I waited to hear from a lot of you that have made the switch and you had very similar customer service experience as well. What about my signal, Steve? Well, everybody pretty much uses the same towers these days, so you won't notice much of a change there either in most areas of the country. So make the switch today. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know when you make the switch. They'll give you even more savings as a way of saying thank you for your service. For the rest of you, get a free activation when you use my name, Steve, as your offer code over at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Or call them at 972-PATRIOT. All right, let's get back to some feedback Friday. I am a major in the U.S. Army and a military intelligence officer. While I routinely, while I routinely criticize Turkey as the worst NATO ally... I can explain why it is in NATO. It's not about shared ideology or values. The short answer is choke point control. Namely, Turkey controls the Bosporus Straits connecting the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. Turkey and Russia have a historic animus in any potential NATO versus Russia conflict in Europe. Once critical front would have been, or one critical front would have been the Mediterranean Sea. The Med provides a shipping lane for Arab oil to feed the NATO war machine, as well as ports of entry for logistics to support the war. The USSR maintains some of those limited warm water ports in the Crimea and the Black Sea and a hosted naval base in Syria. In the event of a war, the USSR would try to push surface vessels and submarines from the Black Sea through the Bosporus and Dardanelles to the Med Mediterranean to interdict with NATO shipping. Having Turkey as an ally keeps those USSR assets bottled up in the Black Sea. Turkey also provides, theoretically, an access point to a possible southern front against the USSR that was more vulnerable than the Western European front. 
If you are interested, I believe I can also make a case for defending the U.S. support for Ukraine. That is Major Leonard, Leonard M. Joyner, who, first of all, thank you for your service, sir. Obviously, you know what you're talking about. So, yeah, by all means, send us a subsequent email. We'd like to hear that other side of the explanation for sure. As to your analysis here, though, I would not presume to debate or critique military intelligence with someone of your ilk and standing. I would, however, presume to take issue with the current state of play as it's politically as it's currently described. Am I going to really say this? Yes. Uh, just feels like this is a point of no return if I go there. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what I'm even talking about. Do I'm you? none. Okay. I'll just say it. Major, with all due respect, I, I think you have to actually make the case that the governments of Western Europe are not more of a threat to me than the one in Russia. We're not dealing with the USSR any longer. Even if you believe it's a reconstituted one to some degree, with oligarchs now serving as the new Politburo and Putin as the new um, Brezhnev, Khrushchev, Stalin, what have you, over the last 29 months, and I, I know you know this, serving in the military, because they, they're trying to purge your ranks to those of you that won't submit to being poisoned, potentially. But over the last 28, 29 months, my way of life has been more threatened by the majority of the NATO registry of countries than it ever has been by Vladimir Putin. And I say that as someone who wouldn't care if Vladimir Putin stepped on the sharp end of a rake tomorrow. I wouldn't care. But Vladimir Putin didn't try to poison me last year. My government did. Vladimir Putin didn't determine whether my business could be open or I could go to church. My government did. Vladimir Putin is not permitting an invasion at my southern border of human traffickers and drug lords. My government does. Vladimir Putin is not monitoring me as a potential domestic terrorist. My government is. Vladimir Putin did not issue an executive order today trying to expand your ability to kill American children before they're born. My government did. Vladimir Putin did not debase my currency and shut down my domestic energy production. My government did. Vladimir Putin is not censoring my ability to confront his fiendish ways 
my government is. And so with all due respect, I think even if all of this is strategically true, and I will cede the point that it is, I think it is also irrelevant. Given the strategic moment we're in right now. I'm a lot more in danger from the United States of Pfizer's syringes pointed at me than whatever Putin has pointed at me at this moment. Frankly, so are a lot of you that are enlisted right now. But yes, I appreciate the perspective and I would love to see the case for supporting Ukraine because I have yet to actually see a case for supporting Ukraine. So I would love to see one. Or at least one that wasn't a talking point from 1987. Cammie writes, five years ago I was convinced that my church was on the brink of accepting LGBTQFU doctrine. In fact, I was kind of rooting for it. I saw it as an acceptance issue, as many others in my generation do. And year after year, the church's message stayed the same, uh, opposing it. At that time, when I actually confronted with people in my life who explored the LGBTQFU stuff, I felt appalled. And I felt guilty for not accepting them. I was blinded to its evil center. I cannot give you guys full credit to my eyes being opened. We have all lived through a couple of radical years. Epic times, the specter of communism was especially eye-opening for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Actually, I've never heard of it, so I should check it out. Um, But I'm grateful to your show for calling out evil and for not pulling that punch. Your show found its way onto my watch list after the election of 2020, and you were the only guys channeling my anger to what was happening then. My children are growing up in a world that is swimming in untruth. Good is evil. Evil is good. Boys are girls. And you are mentally ill if you don't affirm it, etc. Anyway, to sum up, I realize now that my church and any church who is actually of God has to call out evil and cannot comply with it. Yes, I I can't say it any better than that. That's right on the money. Right on the money. And when it comes to Bill Bar, I can't say it any better than this. It is the absolute greatest protein bar of all time. Um, I had another one of those chocolate chip cookie dough puffs on the way to work today after work. No, another? I've not had had one in a couple days, so give me some credit. I've tried to show a little restraint. It's a long fast. (laughs) I'm dry, man. I was dry. (laughs) I feel you. All right. It's incredible how good those are. I mean, it's just incredible. Straight up, man, I am contemplating, although they don't let you do that anymore because everyone's going to take razor blades or something. I was going to say, I'm going to take some built bars and cut them up and give them to kids out for trick or treat. But nowadays, <laughs> they're going to think you're trying to poison their kid with that, right? So then I have to give away full built bars, and I don't know that I'm quite ready to do that yet. Maybe I should. What do you think parents would say if their kids came home with a protein bar? Just a full built bar experience. What do you think? What we when you were a kid, what would you have said about that guy who was giving you that? Well, they didn't have built bars when we no. were a kid. You know what I'm saying? Uh, these things are incredible. They're the greatest protein bar ever made. Try it today or get them again uh, using my last name, Dace, as your promo code for 15% off when you go to built.com. B U I L T, all covered in real chocolate loaded and packed with flavor, but not packed with the carbs, calories, and grams of sugar that you are trying to avoid. So go to built.com, 15% off at built.com. Trust me, you will be thankful. Do they even send you new scripts anymore? Do they bother? 
Like, I don't even look. Do they just fire we their staff? It's like we yeah. can't. We haven't had one. Most of them are just a generic script. That they, they just, give us they just, they, they trust us. In fact, at this point, the company doesn't even send me free samples anymore. I think they know Dace is just going to buy these before we send it to them anyway. So what's the point? And then we can double dip, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, this is their way of charging back some of what we charge them for the ad. They just know I'm going to buy a bunch of their stuff. And so that takes a little bit off of their uh, their margin at the same time. They don't even send me free ones because they know I'm just going to buy them before they get there. You know well what I mean? Played. Yeah. Well played. Indeed. I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them for it. Hate the game, not the player. Indeed. Uh, where to go next? Um, I am a 52-year-old adult human female woman. I am the mom of two adult men and two adult women. I'm the grandmother of two young female girls. I just finished watching Matt Walsh's What is a Woman and I wanted to cry. I am angry. We are being erased. I am devastated, disgusted, horrified, petrified for what this means for all women and girls in the future. Every person needs to watch this. I agree. I implore the Daily Wire to make it accessible anywhere and everywhere that they are able. I ask the three of you, how do we process this insanity? How do we fight this demonic, hostile takeover of our culture, our lives, our souls? I cannot repeat and state fully the utter anger within me. This has to stop. My oldest daughter had the same reaction when, when we watched it together. Um, well, the letter just a little while ago. That's from Dana, by the way. Yeah. From the, the other uh, woman. Susan? Yeah, who, who said, what do we do? Yeah. Well, here, I, I'm, listen, I, it's on the male side of things when we talk about rescuing masculinity. Women can encourage that and nurture that in our way, but we got to, you know, when we got to take care of our own, you know, when we need to just draw lines in the sand for one another, same on the female side of the ledger too, that when we talk about the, uh, election demographics and how, you know, suburban white women are, are the ones that continue to sprint into the abyss uh, there's something for you to do there. You, you, you gals, when you run into, it's not, you're not just always in your church setting. I mean, I don't know. Do you have your soccer sideline, whatever version right. of that you have in your life? Th- th- these conversations, I, that group, they are very brazen. They talk out loud all the time of what they think. How many times have you just said, um, uh, that's crazy talk. And you're hurting children with that. I mean, stuff like that needs to be said woman to woman. Yes, you just said, right on the money. Again, I just want to be left alone. I didn't want to make it awkward. Not my place to say anything. Loses in every history book ever. Ever. Loses every time. Never wins. Loses every time. That's what you just said. It's okay to make those making you uncomfortable, make them uncomfortable. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I'm here to make people uncomfortable, even the most intimate relationships, mother and daughter. We don't make enough people uncomfortable. We don't put enough people on edge. They're way too comfortable flaunting this in front of us. Yep. Way too comfortable. That's the first thing that needs to be changed. We need to demonstrate... Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to push back on that. Good to go ahead and do it. Let's get this one in quickly. 
Hi, Steve. I want to become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, how does one explain or rationalize that biblically theologians say and agree that the earth is 6,000 years old? However, isn't it quite... um, However, uh, don't you believe the scientific age of the earth is four and a half billion years old? Help. Um, That's from Carrie, who says, by the way, do you recommend the uh, EVS Bible to study uh, the good book? Yeah, I do. Um, ESV, actually, is the one I recommend. That's probably what you meant. I'm a big fan of the ESV. As to your other question, Carrie, here's how I I would respond. How do you explain or rationalize your own sinfulness? And therefore, what is the solution to it? So, brother, when, when you have, a, when you have a, a, a solution to me, to your own sinfulness and your own brokenness, when you, con- when you conjure one up on your own to reconcile that discrepancy... I will then happily address with you the discrepancy that you believe you have addressed. I don't even know why you want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If your first fundamental question is whether it's 6,000 years old or billions of years old, if that's your fundamental, what, the, what why is Christ paramount in any way, shape, or form? I don't get it. Which is why I asked the question, yeah. how do you reconcile your own sinfulness and your own brokenness? Which, so, what will be your answer to that? The lesson learned from the Roe v. Wade thing. Challenge this at the premise. Your premise is all wrong, Carrie. I'm yeah. sorry. Your premise is that God needs to explain himself. The most powerful uh, being in the universe has to explain to us. To us. Are we the most powerful beings in the universe? Uh, no. He has to explain to us why things appear the way that they do right now in terms of geology and age of the earth you got that mixed up yep. the premise that you're starting from is that god has some splaining to do you're the one that has some splaining to do which is why i asked you how do you plan on reconciling your own sinfulness and brokenness how do you plan on reconciling that what's your plan for that what's your solution for that don't you need jesus either way whether it's 4.5 billion years old or six <laughs> yeah. i mean that's what are you doing what are you doing one would think one would think, yes. All right, we're, we're going to stick around, do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. We will see you again on Monday. Until then, John 317.